So when I see people who change careers and I get a chance to talk to them, say, hey, remember that you are bringing a lot of value to this team. You're bringing a perspective and a set of experiences that nobody else has. And those yeah. are like super valuable. Microsoft back then, we're shipping Windows back then as a physical DVD on a schedule. There was no choice that like, you have to print the DVDs by this date. And they were really good at like prioritization and cutting things down and making sure that the essential was shipped. And I learned a lot. I think Satya was especially interesting to see because he came from Microsoft. He was not an outsider, but he always kept that outsider view of understanding that there was more to the world yeah. than just Windows. Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. I'm your host, James Hudnall, and my goal is to highlight real-life examples of people with non-traditional backgrounds moving into careers they love, so you can too. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Ramiro Barayeza. Now before founding Octero, Ramiro worked as a software developer at companies big and small, from Microsoft to Elasticbox, a startup that was eventually acquired by CenturyLink. Ramiro, welcome to Exponential Growth. Hi James, thank you for having me. Excited to be with you today. Yeah, excited to dive into your story, Ramiro. And we were talking a little bit before we hit the record button where if I had a normal conversation on the show, it would be to explore a career transformation, most often from a non-traditional background. And I think I understand with the little homework that I've done, you have more of a traditional background, but I also find that many traditional stories aren't actually traditional. You've got a lot of nuance along the way. And so I would love to really dive into yours before we get to Octeto and the, the company that you founded. So why don't you take us back to growing up in Mexico? Yeah, no, happy to. So I, I was born in Mexico in the city of Guadalajara. I actually lived there most of my life. I moved to the U.S. when I was like 23, 24. So in the very early days, like the eighties in Mexico, technology took a while to catch up. I was probably five or six when I started to realize, hey, video games exist, right? Whether it was because of an arcade or because of like France. And that was kind of like my first touch point with technology was like go from traditional sports, TV, movies, all those things to like this more interactive way of, oh, it's really cool. It's entertainment, it's interactive. That happened and roughly at the same time, maybe a couple of years later, my dad back then used to work at a bank and in Mexico, the banks were one of the first kind of adopters of like computers as part of business. So I remember like my dad used to take me every now and then to his office and having access to computers back then was kind of like this mind blowing experience for me and my brother. And keep in mind that back then computers meant kind of spreadsheets, hmm. uh, black and white um, screens. So a lot of this playing around we used to do was just clicking, printing things. But even back then, just, just this transformational ability of tech of taking input and then creating something new on the other side is something that I, I found fascinating. Mm. And it really caught me. And, and from then on, a lot of what I did around hobbies, around studying all the way to kind of choosing high school and, and then my degree. They just kind of took me on this path of tech, mm. and that has been my life pretty much ever since. I think I heard in another conversation you did that you started to tinker with embedded systems, and that may have ultimately helped you land the role with Microsoft that I don't want to jump ahead, but I am curious, where did that passion maybe come from? That was actually very, it's a very interesting story. I took like a gap year between high school and college, and in that gap year, while I was trying to figure out what to do, I was staying with some family here in the U.S. And, and one day I, I was at this Barnes and Nobles in, in Cleveland, Ohio, back when physical books was still a thing. And I bought this book on web programming, web and it was one of the Riley books on like dynamic 
programming for the web. And it was like HTML, CSS, early PHP. Uh, so that's how I got started into coding. So like websites, like GeoCities, all these things. Then when I came back to Mexico, I started studying my CS degree. That school at first kind of taught you kind of more like the low level C++ assembly languages uh, before we got into the cool web stuff. So while I was doing that, one of my friends approached me about kind of like entering this competition at Microsoft, which was focused on embedded devices. And it was something we've never done before, but my friends studied electrical engineering hmm. and, and they needed somebody to code. I was like, okay. I was like, how hard can it be? And I know how to code for the web naively. <laughs> how hard can it be to do like devices? It must be the same thing. It's the same language. You can run C++, uh, early.net. I figured it will be the same. It wasn't. Hmm. But it was very interesting because this project, this competition was sponsored by Microsoft, hmm. which back then, this is before Android, before iPhone, right? Microsoft was the premier provider of embedded systems. Windows CE was barely brought to use on automotive, airplanes, much places. So as we discovered this, it was really interesting because we went from coding for the web to learning .NET for embedded devices. Hmm. And that was really exciting to me because it was kind of one of this, another kind of wow moment. We're like, oh wait, so you can code for more than just for computers. Hmm. And this kind of opened this world of like, IOT and kind of on the field, which is something back then we we're working on this project to create smart water sensors to detect okay. flow and, and then be able to detect if there was a leak based on flow changes, very engineering wise, not very business oriented, but that's kind of what started to direct me into like, yeah, I want to build tech. Uh, I want to go away from just websites into this new world 20 years ago of using tech across all these different business dimensions. Okay. And funny enough, like learning.net also set me on this path that eventually ended up with me joining Microsoft. Yeah. Because through these competitions, we kind of, I don't know, like kind of got into the radar of recruiters. And then a few of my friends and I got recruited to join Microsoft. And because yeah. we kind of had invested this in .net, that kind of make it easier for us. Yeah. And I went from embedded devices in, in Guadalajara to now, a couple of years later, working on Azure at Microsoft right. in Seattle, which we went from embedded devices to automation for cloud services, Yeah, which is wild. Uh, back yeah. then, it didn't feel like that big of a jump. Now, when I think about it, I was like, oh my God, that's like <laughs> yeah. three different worlds. But yeah. back then, it just kind of makes sense. And, and as you said, a lot of these journeys are never linear. And what you learn in one thing helps you for the next. And it's really hard to predict until you look at it. Yeah. Kind of with the vantage point of time. Yeah. And maybe specifically going from Mexico and then relocating to the States. I think I heard you say in an earlier conversation, you know, you had this mentality of why not? Let's do it for a year. Worst case, you can always come back if things don't work out. And I think it's probably obvious, Ramiro, in hindsight, that things certainly did work out for you. But I'm curious, do you just naturally have this attitude and this outlook on life, which no doubt has served you well, or was that developed? Uh, no, it's it's something that I... It wasn't, it wasn't really planned, but it, it is it is an outlook in life that I've used many times and it has served me well so far. Moving to the States was one of them. Moving eventually from, from big company, from working at Microsoft in Seattle to the Bay Area to work in a tiny startup like Elasticbox that you mentioned, I was employee number four or five. So it was a big jump for me. I know when I think of this, I've always kind of used that outlook of like, hey, what's the worst thing that could happen? Like, hey, if 
if I don't like it, there's always, you know, I could always go back to Mexico. You know, my family yeah. will take me back. Yeah. If the startup doesn't work, it's like, hey, I can always go back to Microsoft. I left a good impression. I'm sure I can get my job back. Yeah. And I've, I've been using that when we decided to like, quit our jobs and start our, our current company, Optero. The same kind of like outlook is something that's been particularly helpful as a founder because you're always taking these risks and they have to be calculated and you're not doing like crazy, like I'm going to start, like I have no idea, but I want to build like a nuclear reactor. No, no, it's more calculated. Like, hey, I know X, I have an idea of how to get to like, you know, five X. Okay, hmm. let's try it. And if it doesn't work, okay, then you iterate. That has helped me build a certain resiliency or like lack of fear of like, oh, what if it doesn't work? And that is something that when I mentor, you know, younger engineers or, or founders, to me is one of the best skills you can have because that just opens the doors to anything, right? Especially now with the web, we live in a world that is like a lot less centralized. Like when yep. I was younger, I had to move from Mexico to the US to pursue a tech career because Mexico back then didn't have much of a tech scene. There was some, but yep. not great. Now that's not the case. Like I have friends who have founded YC-backed companies from Mexico. They're not yeah. moving. They're building their teams there. So having this mentality of, like, hey, what's the worst thing that could happen? Uh, you know, if it doesn't work out, okay, I'll go back to what was working before. Yeah. It's super useful. And, you know, it's something nobody ever asked me before. Uh, it's a really good question. And, and, and yeah, back then I remember very vividly, I was like, yeah, do I want to go to the U.S.? Do I want to work for this big company? And I was like, I don't know. Should I? And then I was like, okay, yeah, what's the worst that can happen? I'll quit in six months and yeah. go back. And, you know, that was like 15 years ago. Yeah. So as you said, it did work out for me in many different ways. I just love that mindset. And it there, there are so many parallels with your story and those trying to execute a career transition. Maybe they didn't find tech early on in their lives like you did. But to your point, no matter what they're doing, you can always go back. And I can certainly say that I used to work on boats and now I'm very fortunate to have landed a role at LinkedIn, which if you had asked me that five years ago, Ramiro, not in my wildest dreams would I have been able to paint that picture. But when I finally did muster the courage to do that, I was like, I can always come back here if things go completely wrong. And it's funny, once you're willing to burn those proverbial ships, how, I don't know if destiny grabs you and just shows you the way, but it seems that you find your calling more often than not. I agree a hundred percent and something that I... And congrats, by the way, on, on LinkedIn. That's an amazing place to, to work at. One thing that, and, and you're right, is this career changes, is I think people think they're bigger than they really is. Because I think we all tend to underestimate our experience. And that's something I mm. tell people who are changing careers. Is, yeah, you're, you're changing industries. You might go from you know, manufacturing to software. You might go from like traditional. My partner, she went from traditional marketing on like physical goods, like shampoos and, and you know, the other, and that kind of thing, like to product marketing at software. Hmm. And, and it was a hot tough transition, but what I always tell people is like, hey, but you have skills. This is not you starting from zero. You bring a lot. Yeah. A lot of what we do is not just tech specific. It's around project management, it's around communications, it's around prioritization. It's about understanding the customer. Those things are not tech specific. So when I see people who change careers and I just talk to them, say, hey, remember that you are bringing a lot of value to this team. You're bringing a perspective and a set of experiences that nobody else has. And those yeah. are like super valuable, especially as tech becomes more prominent and we're building for everybody. Like going back like to my story, 20 years ago, computers were niche. They were like for very specific people who like to tinker with these things. They were hard to use. They were not easy to find. 
this is not the world. Everybody has a smartphone. We yep. all interact with tech multiple times per day. Yep. So having more people from diverse backgrounds is a net gain for every team. Yeah. And that's something that I find very exciting and like seeing the industry change to enable this more and more, make it easier and, and create these alternative paths. It's amazing. It's a net gain for everybody. Yeah, no, I could not agree more. And I, I love that, that take. Now take us back to your time at Microsoft. What was it like working under Satya Nadella? When I joined, uh, Balmer was still the CEO. Okay. Satya was actually the, I think it was the GM of my team. So I was very lucky that when I joined Microsoft, I joined at the, at this kind of like juncture point when Balmer, which, you know, that's a lot of bad cred, but one of the best things he did was he made this memo on, Hey, we're betting all on the cloud. Hmm. Microsoft is going to the cloud. We missed the web. We kind of missed the mobile revolution. We're betting on the cloud. And it benefited me personally because I was lucky enough to be in one of the teams that then became core to the company. And that was Azure. When I joined Azure, it was called .NET Services or something like that. I forgot. It was kind of very Microsoft-y name. And then when Satya kind of started to grow, like back then he was the GM. And it was very interesting because big companies are great at building things. They're good at process. They're good at like predictability. They're good at like getting things done. Sometimes it feels like they're slow because they're serving gigantic markets. But they ship like, you know, Microsoft back then, we're shipping Windows back then as a physical DVD on a schedule, there was no choice. Like you have to print the DVDs by this date. And they were really good at like prioritization and cutting things down and making sure that the essential was shipped and make sure you're working on the main thing. So that was really interesting. And I learned a lot. Hmm. I think Satya was especially interesting to see because he came from Microsoft. He was not an outsider, but he always kept that outsider view of understanding that there was more to the world. No. That just windows. I think that was like the previous leadership's biggest issue was they came from windows, they built windows, yeah. they built Microsoft, they built office. Yeah. So they always assumed that was the world because to a point it was right. Like everybody was using windows, everybody uses Excel. Those are like global standards, but the new world was not like that. And, and that's what mm -hmm. Satya did really well. And this is something that all companies need to learn from small and large is when you have some success. You need people in your team to keep your eyes out and understand that, that success will never be forever, right? No matter how big your monopoly is, at some point, something else is going to disrupt you. Yeah. It can be yourself. I think what Satya did really well was understanding that, hey, cloud's coming. Cloud is not Windows. Cloud is mixed workloads. It's Linux. It's Oracle. It's Windows. It's Edge. And then he kind of started pushing for that so that when he became CEO, which was actually very surprising internally. I was like, okay, who expected this person to be CEO? He was able to execute this vision and really like, besides the gains and like the stock price or whatever, just like the, sh the switch they did on such a massive scale, yeah. it's amazing. It took years, yeah. of course, but like Microsoft is a very different company from what it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Now they're like, they kind of regained their developer cred. They regained this kind of, his company that ships fast, a lot of things that yeah. they used to be in the past. So it was very exciting to be part of that. I was very lucky. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad I learned a lot. And I, I got to chat with Satya a couple of times, which is very exciting yeah. uh, before he was like this big thing. Going back to the career changes, I, if possible, I think spending a couple of years at a large company, kind of like what you're doing, LinkedIn, it's a great place to learn 
about the business. Like yep. you might not learn too much about like the newest technologies, but yep. you will learn a lot about process, business, and execution, which is super yeah. important. Yeah, I want to ask you about the, I guess, your take on working at a startup versus working at a more traditional, larger company like Microsoft. But before we do that, when we're talking about successful companies, originally, I wanted to ask you maybe other founders that you look up to. But I think I understand now you have more of this framework of respecting teams that are put together as opposed to individuals. And I'm curious if you always felt that way or maybe if earlier in life, maybe you had, I don't want to call them idols, but for lack of a better word, idols, things that you aspired to become. It's funny, I, I think part of growing on what back then was kind of like the outside of tech, you know, growing Latin America, for the longest time, I never thought about who created tech. Like my assumption when playing a video game, when playing like you know, computer software was, hey, is this massive thing that these very special people make that, you know, nobody else can be like them. Like when I was young, I was like, oh. I could not think of like, oh, I want to make a video game. I'd be like, no, it's super hard. It's impossible for someone like me. So I never thought in terms of the people who made it. It was always kind of this more like thing. Uh, I think that translated to like, as I grew up, kind of this disposition I have to think in terms of teams and not necessarily the people who pick things, who like lead this effort, because it's, it's, I always felt like hey, it's more of a team effort. Yeah. That being said, there's always people that I admire. And I, I admire a lot of the early creators of tools who designed, uh, what are the names? I always forget the names, but the creators of the C language and of Unix, okay. uh, Cunningham and uh, what is the book? Uh, I, I forget, but uh, those kind of foundational pioneers who were able to design these very simple things that we use today, like that to me, those are kind of like the people I aspire to, to be one day, like the, the yeah. person that created Curl. It's one person who designed this thing that continues to be useful. The people that designed TCP/IP, they built this protocol for a world where we had like 100 computers in the world, and that protocol still works now that we have billions of devices. Those to me are like some of the most amazing people. I think the early people that made Apple I mean, changed so much. Early Microsoft as well. They just changed the the idea of computers as something that is accessible to everybody. Yeah. But I tend to look more up for the result and, and kind of like the vision and less about the individuals because I think it's a, it's a team effort. And, and yeah. nowadays, especially, we're no longer in those days where one person can ship an entire product, even in small companies, right? Like two, three people. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of power in small teams, don't get me wrong, but it's in a team and the team yeah. dynamics. It's not really in the individual. No, I love that framework. So back to the, the question of working at a startup versus working at a company like Microsoft, I think eventually you move on. And I guess both, I am certainly interested in your own perspective and your own experience in that, but also keeping in mind the, the listener out there that maybe they're blessed with the, the choice between picking a startup and a, a big company like Microsoft. What would you say to that person based on your own experience? Oof, yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question. It's, it's a hard one to answer. There's so many things to put in in the scale. Uh, I think what I, what I always tell people is those are two very different like gigs, like building, like being part of a team at a large company has a different set of goals and different set of like rewards than working for a smaller startup, like the financial rewards, the financial rewards for the startup can be astronomical, but you're also playing a game of chance. Like very few startups get to the point where anybody makes any money. 
Uh, that's the game. And some people want to play it, others don't. But that's something that we all have to be very aware of. Larger companies, you're going to get a monthly salary. They tend to pay above market. They value talent. So that's the first thing you have to figure out is like, how much are you really motivated by money? How much do you need it? If, if your family situation requires you to have a stable salary, I was lucky enough that I, I was able to take this risk and, you know, have less of a salary for a few years because my family situation allowed me to do it. Not everybody can. And that's something very important. And there's no shame on this. I know there's a lot of like people on, on X now that come on, on the web talking about like, oh, like, you know, as if being a founder is this kind of like this virtuous path. No, it's, it's a path you choose because there's like an economical benefit and, and other benefits, but it's something important to keep in mind. The other one is starting things from zero. You're joining a small team. You have to live in a world of uncertainty, which I like. I like a lot, actually. I love like coming up with solutions, coming up with processes, coming up with like new things of solving an issue. Uh, even when I was working uh, at large companies, I was always one of those people who kind of got in trouble sometimes because I just wanted to unblock things and will do things, maybe not necessarily following process, just kind of hack things and get them done. Big companies are not like that. Big companies are good for process. They're good for building at a very high scale. And one of the things that I like a lot about big companies is that they allow you to develop very deep expertise. Hmm. Like working on startups, especially if you're like an early engineer, you're going to be touching 20, 30 different things. You know, I've learned everything from like front-end, back-end, ops, DevOps, now as a founder, finance, HR, some legal, fundraising, sales, right? You touch everything because that's the nature of a small company where you have to fill different roles. When you work at a company like, like Microsoft, like Facebook, Amazon, these kind of large companies, even at last when I was there, you're hard to perform a task. And that task tends to be singular, very well delineated. Most people, I think, thrive in those scenarios where a good company will give you some room to grow, to improve things, but not like the, hey, here's a white paper. Tell me how to solve this massive problem. So when, when people think about startups versus big companies, I think this is probably the most important question hmm. you have to ask is that, hey, what do I, what brings me joy at the end of the day? Is this kind of more certain we're working together towards this very clear, massive goal? Or do you want to be more on like the, hey, we're inventing the future. There'll be some wins, there'll be some loses. Uh, we'll have to make things up as we go. It'll be rough, but you know, eventually if we succeed, it'll be, it'll be really cool. Yeah. They're both very meaningful paths. Like I remember like one of the first kind of like realizations when I was at Microsoft was that at some point it fixed this bug for a security release and, and the team was like, okay, well, congrats tomorrow. That's going to be installed on 500 million PCs. Cause it was one of back when like, you know, update Tuesdays. And I still remember like the feeling of like, okay, crap. Like I hope it's going to work because the, that impact <laughs> is massive. Right. When you are startups it's more like, Hey, this bug is going to make one customer happy, or it's going to maybe land us three more customers. It's also yeah. amazing. It's more immediate. You know who you're talking about is this customer. I talked to them yesterday. I'm going to be able to talk to them today and tell them, hey, we fixed this. Yeah. So it's a different kind of like feedback cycle. It's a different kind of yeah. reaction. Uh, if you have a choice, it's really what you value. And in my case, I've actually done both because at some points in my life, I prefer one over the other. Mm -hmm. You know, the big company, the, the singular task. Then you're like, okay, this is, I, don't, I want something more like broad. Okay, go to startups. 
then you're like, okay, this is too much for me. Maybe long, longer liking it because I want to do other things in my life. Then you go back to the big company. And I've done that a few times where I go from like small company to big company to small company. I like the change, but it's definitely like different skills. It's yeah. definitely different goals. And that is, I think, what, what people really need to consider. But I mean, I think we're also blessed in tech that most jobs are pretty good. There are some bad yeah. companies out there, but overall, when we take risks, even the risk is moderate because nowadays the startups pay typically well. Yeah. Not like, you know, Facebook, Amazon-like, but they pay well enough. Right. When I was starting startups, again, 10, 15 years ago, there was a huge gap between like startup salaries and, and like big company salaries. Yeah, It was much more of a gamble. Also, like I wasn't a work visa, which also was a different level of gamble. But even that, there's ways to mitigate. But other than that, you can't go wrong with one or the other and you try it out and going back to what you were saying before, try it out. And if it doesn't work out, quit yeah. or, or find another job right. while working on that one and, and go until you find the one that really like fulfills you and where you can thrive. The decision to leave Microsoft, was that a desire to maybe take on more risk and to have more of a quicker feedback cycle to your point? Not really. I mean, that came later. That is, it was, it was funny. And, and this has happened to me several times as well, which is, I wasn't pursuing startups. It was a dream of mine. I've always heard of like, you know, this mythical Silicon Valley, San Francisco. And I knew that I'd, I wanted to work there. Once I'm in the USA, hey, at some point, I want to work there. What happened was that one of my friends uh, at Microsoft, still a friend to this date, he moved to the Bay Area to work for another company. And then he started a company with some of our common friends, like people from Microsoft who moved to the Bay Area. And then one day he reached out and said, hey, I'm doing a company. I think you should come join us. We just raised some money. Why don't you fly down for the weekend, meet everybody, and, and let me know what you think. Hmm. And it was kind of like really funny. I had like this really fun life in Seattle. I had a good job, a good team. I was very happy at Microsoft. I had a really good group of friends. Everything was, was going well. But then I was like, yeah, sure. Let's go for the weekend. They'll, they'll pay for my fly. Why not flight? Why not? Uh, met the, the team in, in a house, in a proverbial house in, I think it was in Sunnyvale or Mountain View, kind of yeah. met the team. And I was like, yeah, this is really exciting. I was single at the time as well. I didn't have much commitments. It was easy for me. And I was like, yeah, you know what? It'll be fun to work with my friends on this new thing. Why not? And I really didn't think it through. Like, I didn't think in terms of like, okay, it's going to be less of a salary. What's going to happen to my, my equity awards at Microsoft? What's going to happen to my promotion? Whatever. For me, it was just kind of like, it felt right at the moment. And then that happened. And what's funny is that pretty much every other job change, and you've been very lucky on this, has been kind of the same way where at some point you're in a good situation and then something better just pops up, some opportunity. And you're like, okay, yeah, this looks interesting. Let's take this opportunity. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. But that has been for me. And, and then, you know, as I was saying earlier, in retrospective, yes. Like you have to measure and you see where you thrive. And I've learned through the years, but in those early years was more like, Hey, this new opportunity came in low risk, worst case, you know, again, you know, a year, you know, I'll commit to a year. If it doesn't work out, I'll do something yeah. else. And, and that's what took me to elastic box. Then Atlassian, the same thing happened. I got a good opportunity there. Uh, I met somebody that recruited me. And then from Atlassian to Octeto was the same thing. Actually two people that I met at Elastic Box, Pablo and Ramon became really good friends. And then one day we're just like, hey, 
we should work together again. It seems like a fun thing to do. Oh yeah, why not? And then a few months later, we decided, yeah, let's do this. Let's quit our jobs and start this company. And yeah. that was about, again, four or five years ago. So it's all been kind of this very opportunistic. It comes up, you have to take some risk. And I've taken risks, like in terms of like finance, in terms of like workload. You know, with Octeto, we had no idea what we were going to build. So we jumped into this huge blank page. Like, hey, I have a great team. The three of us, we know we're good. We know we can ship stuff. Let's figure out what do we want to solve. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was kind of risky, but it, it worked out for me. And I think it's it's important for those in tech to kind of always keep your eyes open. And when those opportunities present, especially when it comes to like hey, building a good network, making sure that you stay in touch with your friends, you know, as, as other opportunities open. I think that is the secret power of the Silicon Valley is this referral system where like people want to work with people they like and they kind of pull each other company through company, whether you're a founder or employee yeah. or you just work somewhere cool and you want your friends to join you. That is something that it's another thing I always advise young entrepreneurs or just young engineers. Hey, you know, build that network and make sure you stay yeah. in touch because that's always a great source of leads yeah. or even jobs. Sometimes some of my friends became investors. And then they can invest in your company or you eventually have a good exit and you can invest in your friends' companies. All those things help a lot. But it all comes from like building this, you know, real friendship. You have to be real, you know, real right. friendships. Uh, and then through that, a lot of opportunities can come up. I, I just love the, the perspective that you shared in terms of not, I guess, letting the golden handcuffs prevent you from taking what many might otherwise perceive as a risk. Because when I reflect back on my own pivot, I absolutely over-considered, I guess, the opportunity costs of the, the 401k match foregone while I was doing the boot camp and whatnot. And in hindsight, it, Ramiro, it was a no-brainer for me to execute this career transition many years before I actually did. So again, uh, I guess I fall more on the other end of that spectrum. I am working through that, and it is so refreshing to hear a perspective like yours. And again, we're returning to that theme of why not? Let's try it. We can always go back to something else if we fail. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because I, I, I kind of went through the same at some point with the small companies, less benefits, less salaries. And, and it goes back to, we all have to be realistic of like where, what our boundaries are. I think that's the most important thing is, is really understanding, you know, and, and being honest and truthful to oneself on like, hey, why do I value? What, what motivates yeah. me? Yeah. Because a lot of people will say money is not a motivator. But then if you look at their lives, no, it is. And it's not wrong. It's like, yeah, you want to be able to provide, you want a bigger house or you want to you know, change your car or other things. Or you want to like to eat out in like good places, like travel. It's fair. There's nothing wrong with that. Others are like, you know what? I really enjoy working on like new things and I'm okay with taking less of salary as long as I'm working on like building edge tech. Uh, you know, just to put two examples. I think it's super important as, as, as we all go through life is this, it's very valuable to understand your own motivations. And I think that's what you should do, right? You should like over index on what motivates you. Mm. And you know, like if it's, if it's career progression, if it's a better salary, that's fine. Then find those spots. For me, it's been kind of like this here. Yeah, I want to tinker with new things. I want to explore. And I've been lucky. I mean, I mean there is an, there is luck, there's preparation, there's yeah. risk, but you don't get lucky if you don't take risks uh, and you have to kind of balance that. And it's, it's, it's interesting. And I think our industry rewards that a lot. This risk taking, I like the fact that it, at least in Silicon Valley, like if you go work for a company, it doesn't work out. There's really no downside. Nobody is going to be like, oh, you left after six months. That's it. You'll never be able to get another job in town. 
because everybody understands that when you take risks, yeah, things happen. Maybe yeah. you're the wrong fit for the company or the company's the wrong fit for you. So that for me is, is something that I value a lot of our industry. And I think it's something that is not super obvious, especially people coming from other industries. Yeah. That that this is kind of kind of an unspoken fact, right? Like you see people yeah. who switch jobs a lot and nobody gives them like a black mark for that. It's part of the culture, I guess. Now I, I really want to dive into the, the origin story of Octeto. So if you can maybe take us back to I think it was a coffee shop you had mentioned previously with Pablo and Ramon where you're working at these well known companies, but uh it, it also sounded like you know, each of you separately, I think, had come to this conclusion where you're building things to make others better at delivering their mission. And I feel like this segues perfectly into the uh, what comes next. So I'm just I'm lobbing you a softball there, but I want to uh, maybe take a swing and, and let us know what was the origin story behind <laughs> that's a, Octeto. That's a good setup. Uh, it's, it's pretty much that. It was very funny. So I had these three good friends, Pablo and Ramon. Uh, we all met and ended up working together at the last box uh, for a while. And then we all, as you said, we all went on different paths. I went to Atlassian, Pablo went back to Spain to a startup that eventually got acquired by Docker. Uh, Ramon went to Google. He wanted to work at a big company and he went to Google. He was working at, I think, YouTube and then Mailbox or, or vice versa. But in, in this kind of like, how fun and how it's fun how these things happen, we all kind of got to the same point where after a few years of working at these companies, we're all kind of like, okay, yeah, we did this. We work for this kind of well-known companies. It's okay, it's great, we like it, but we're gonna do something else. And the three of us kind of reached that point at about the same time, because we started talking, we should do some things together, it'll be fun, you know, we like working last time, why don't we try it again? And then, yeah, one day everyone was like, okay, we've been talking about this for a while, are we gonna do it or not? Because mm -hmm. we have to start making plans if we're gonna do it. Otherwise, I want to focus on like you know my own thing. Like okay, and then the three of us were like, yes, okay, let's do it. You know, we're committed. We're gonna do this in in X months. We're gonna quit our jobs and start Octeta. And and it wasn't even called Octeta. It was, we're gonna start something. And those months, which I think was almost like ten, eight to ten months, what we did was kind of like once a week we had this kind of like long Zoom call scheduled to just brainstorm. And we had all these ideas we were evaluating, right? We were like in search for problem. <laughs> and, and, you know, back then it was like, okay, what? it was very really funny because we were like, okay, we've built a lot of developer tools in our careers. We don't want to do that. We want to do something new. So we started thinking of like, oh, you know what? IoT is a new, it's, it's hot, it's exciting. I had some background on that. Yeah, let's try that. And we ran with that for a few weeks, months. We're like, you know what? Not really. OBR, hmm. VR is coming. We have this friend who's like really into VR. Let's talk to him and see what we can do there. And then we try different things. At some point, we're like looking into like smart retail, like augmented reality for stores. And we even joined this incubator and we were there for a few hours. And then we realized this is not for us. We have no idea of retail. We need some. And then eventually we kept circling and then we realized, hey, actually what we know how to do well is developer tools. Why are we running away from that? We have this expertise we've built over many years. We have a lot of insight. We have no idea how to run a company. We have no idea how to build a startup. Let's take the risk on those areas hmm. and let's read the risk by focusing on problems that we understand very well. And as we were brainstorming, uh, we reached what you're saying, which is, hey, we're really good at building these tools. We've built tools 
internally at all these companies to enable other teams to be faster and to increase their velocity. No. Let's focus on that area. And Pablo and I especially were very plugged into the container Kubernetes microservices world at that time. And we kind of knew, hey, this big thing is coming called Kubernetes. It's going to be the next big thing on cloud computing. But if that happens, there's no tooling for it. It's kind of a, there isn't a huge opportunity to for like build tools for developers to be able to harness the power of this new wave yeah. of cloud computing. Let's do that. Yeah. And we both had done things like that, but for the previous wave. And it was like, okay, let's do it. And it was super helpful because for the first few years, we were building something for ourselves. Like mm. it was, hey, what do I need it two years ago to be yeah. effective? And that's how Ketero came to be. Like we realized that, hey, there's this huge problem around developers having a lot of friction, developers having to deal with a lot of stuff just to get their job done. So let's build tools to reduce the cognitive load, to reduce the toil, and to give them a fast inner loop, which is, yeah. hey, as a developer, I want to change code and I want to see the results of that code change on a way that is realistic as fast as possible. Yeah. And you know, with our solution, things that normally take 10, 15 minutes now take two, three seconds. Yeah. Uh, so that is kind of a huge value for developers. Yeah. Something we knew, we had a very strong conviction because we were developers. And that is what allowed us to just jump head first into this problem, start building technology. You know, the first few years we were early for the market, which is ideal because yeah. you want that time to find the early adopters, to build kind of the first version of your solution, to experiment. Because in an ideal world, if you can have a mature solution, when the market catches up to you, then you're like just you're going super fast. And that's what, you know, if you look yeah. historically, is what has happened. Like most companies became famous once this wave hits. But if you look at their history, you've seen the founders or maybe the company, they have been working on that yeah. for a long time before that. Yeah, uh, the timing works out. Yeah, and that, is a, and that is the toughest part of a startup is, is working those. It's the toughest and also the most fun because you're working on this, ideally this problem you're very passionate about. It almost feels like you have this secret the secret that nobody else knows, like, oh, yeah. I know this is coming and you don't, but you will see in a year, yeah. you'll see I'm right. So it's kind of exciting. You're working on this kind of like thing that might come, uh, but it also can be frustrating because people tell you like, you're crazy. That makes no sense. Why are you yeah. working on that? Yeah. So as a founder, you have to balance that conviction, feedback, resilience. And we did it. And I'm very excited we did it because I think we, we managed to grow the company, kind of go through that phase and now that there is a bigger market for what we do around, we call this developer experience automation. Uh, now we're seeing the results of like more and more companies coming to us to buy our products and to get yeah. the value that we provide to their yeah. engineering teams. Yeah, I'd like to pull on that thread a little bit. And my understanding is Octeto kind of sits on top of the Kubernetes layer and it's almost like an abstraction layer such that the developer doesn't have to worry about that. Can you describe what Kubernetes is to a listener that may be unfamiliar? For those of you unfamiliar, Kubernetes is an open source project that is started at Google and at its core, uh, its mission is to help orchestrate cloud resources uh, at high scale and at high density. The problem that solves is that before Kubernetes, cloud computing was all about VMs on the cloud. You wanna get some workload, you have to provision a VM, you put your code there, 
and then you run your workload. It works, but it's expensive and it's slow. Since VMs existed, then this company called Docker, funded by Solomon Hikes, created this technology called containers, or made it more popular, which are like, I'm, I'm gonna oversimplify this, but they're like VMs, but much smaller, with a smaller security footprint. So Kubernetes is the next level. Kubernetes is the tool that allows you to run these containers at a very high scale. This is as, as more and more companies build software, as more and more companies use the cloud to run their software, the need for this kind of tooling grew. Because if you have a, a company like Microsoft, where you have thousands of developers, and you're gonna deploy, and I'm not kidding, millions of applications per year, you need something to automate that. You don't wanna do it by hand. Right. So that's what Kubernetes does. Okay. At different scales, small companies use it for the same automation principles, different goals, but that's it. What we provide is a layer on top of that because Kubernetes is complicated. It's, it's a complex tool. It does a lot of things for many different people. And, and part of our mission with Octeto is we wanna make the lives of developers easier. And our thesis is that developers don't want to deal with this complexity 80% of the time. They just want to get their job done. And the job done for most developers is I want to ship value to my customers. I don't care about infrastructure. I don't care about cloud and VMs. My customer has a problem and I want to solve that problem through technology. So we provide that layer to automate all this for teams so that teams like yours can go faster. And in our case is by giving you this platform that automates Kubernetes. And for example, allows you to do things like give everybody in your team a copy of your entire application for them to develop, test, tinker. And then by the time they get to production, they have high conviction that the stuff that, we, that we're working on works for real. Yeah, no, very cool. And now maybe I'd ask you to, to put on your founder's hat, not that you haven't had it on already. I, I'm checking out your website now, and I'm particularly looking at the careers section, and I, I'm blown away. Remote first, unlimited PTO, family leave, a work from home stipend, health benefits, everything you could ask for. And my, my favorite, Romero, is the job title currently open is Your Dream Job, which I, I absolutely love the ambiguity in that. So all of that to say to the listeners out there, that are maybe they're executing a career transition now, maybe they're self-taught, maybe they're in a boot camp or just graduated. Let's say that the story behind Octeto resonates with them. They want to work at a company like yours. What do you look for in terms of a maybe a non-traditional applicant or maybe just an applicant writ large? That's a good question. So when it comes to us or other startups, right? What do we look for? Uh, the first thing, and, and this comes especially for remote companies, and I think this is kind of underestimated, is good communication skills. Working remotely is hard because especially our company is both remote and we try to be async, which for the longest time, I'm going to be frank, I thought it was the same. And then through experience, I realized it's not the same because you can all be remote in the same time zone. And that's very different from being remote on a team that lives across, like our case, seven or eight different time zones. Yeah. I always look for that for skills like people who are able to like clearly communicate in writing or, you know, face-to-face. -face. Definitely there's a minimum bar of technical skills, depending on the role. If you're applying for like a backend engineering role, we have a certain, okay, we need to know these technologies. You need to like 
have this experience. Because the startups, especially the small startups like ours, there's not a lot of room for mentoring because you don't have that many people. So you're always looking to like kind of build the foundation of like people who have done it before. Hmm. So for instance, and something that may be controversial, but I think for people coming out of like boot camps, early stage startups might not be the best place. Because if you don't have a lot of expertise on, say, developing, you want to be able to join a team that's going to have the time and the space to learn and to grow. A startup with five people or like five engineers might not be that place. Because startups are always running against time. Right? You need to go fast. You need to ship value quickly. You need to find that market fit. Uh, so that's something to consider. Right? It depends on the stage and, and the programs. I've seen some startups who are building now programs to kind of like mentor and they advertise them as such. Say, hey, we have the senior engineers. They want a mentor. Okay, join us like, or join these roles. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a lot of like companies open, open certain roles around like customer success, around like the, um, technical writing that could be good stepping stones. Working at startups is all about solving problems. So kind of having that knack of like not being blocked by, I don't know what to do. I think that's something that's very important to thrive in startups is having that, oh yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out. I've never looked for people who know everything. Actually, that tends to be a red flag. People who are not willing to admit they don't know something, they, they tend to take feedback bad. They tend to be not that good because if you already think you're good, you're not gonna look for ways to improve yourself. I actually look for people who be like, hey, you know what, I don't know, but you know, don't worry, I'll figure it out. In terms of what skills to develop, I think that's important to be aware of the trends and what the company is building. I always look for people who like really understand the mission because even if they're not on technical roles, like and we have a very technical product. When we hire marketing, sales, even other roles, for me, it's very important that people understand why this company needs to exist. And I highly recommend anybody who's interested in joining startups to, to do that test. Because if you don't believe this company should exist, and really like believe like, yes, I want to make sure this exists. Then that's not a good place for you. Hmm. Because like startups require this kind of like suspension of this belief of like, oh, we're going to make it happen because you're creating something from zero, right? Yeah. You're going to create something that most people haven't thought about. That's the whole point. Yeah. That most people think, oh, that's not possible or that's not really a problem. So you really have to believe in the mission of the company. Like if you're interviewing with a startup, ask the founders or the hiring person, what is the mission? Why do you think this company needs to exist? And if that doesn't really resonate with you, and this could be not necessarily because you benefit, right? It could be because, oh yeah, like I see that you know, the world needs, like with Instacart, I say, hey, yeah, I can see, I'm saying that we need an easier way to order groceries online. Yes. Hmm. Even if I'm not the one ordering, okay, I, I get why this must exist. It's super important because it makes it easier for like, you know, caregivers to order food or for the elderly or for when I'm going to school, I want like a quick lunch. It's important I can do it in my app. If you believe in that, that is very important. That's something that I think a lot of people don't consider when they apply. And I see it a lot in our company. When you see people apply and I ask them, say, hey, so what do you think about developer velocity? Why do you think it's important? And people are like, well, I don't know. I just want to work in tech. I'm like, okay, you know, there's a lot of tech companies. I'm sure you can find one where you like feel passionate. Yeah. And that is very important because otherwise, yeah. even if you have the tech skills, even if you have the skills for the job, if you don't believe in the mission of the company, 
you're not going to have a good time. No, I absolutely love that. That was actionable advice to anyone out there listening, not just at a company like Octero, but I think pretty much any that you're looking to join. At Ramiro, I know we're coming up on our time. I want to be respectful of yours. Before you get out of here, I would love to throw you on the hot seat. I got a few rapid fire questions Perfect. to better understand your psychology. You up for it? Yeah, of course. All right. First question. What does your typical morning routine look like? So uh, <laughs> I have two cats. Uh, so my typical morning routine is uh, I'm walking up around 6.30, 7. I'm working really hard not to look at my phone early on. Before I would like wake up, check my phone. Nowadays I wake up, I make coffee. Uh, I, I talk to my, my partner. We kind of have breakfast together. And then typically around 8 a.m. is when I either check my phone or log in to Slack and, and start my day. All right. If money didn't exist, what do you think you would do every day with your time? I would do the same thing I do. I really like coding. Uh, I, I do it in my spare time still now. Uh, it's I'm very lucky that I found this passion that I'm lucky enough that it actually pays well in this mm -hmm. day and age. But I, I, if I were to retire, if I had if I have this huge exit, hopefully knock on wood and money no longer matters, I would still be like building technology. It's, it's what I've always done and I really like it. That is my favorite answer to that question. All right, next question. LLMs, ChatGPT, everything is on the, the forefront right now, generative AI, and irrespective of whether or not you are using them at Octeto, I am curious, how do you stay abreast of the latest trends and changes to make sure that you're staying relevant? That is really, that's a really good one. It's really hard. I read a lot, so I tend to stay, I'm an active user of Twitter, which has its pros and cons. I attend meetups. I think that's one of the biggest advantages of, of living in a, in a tech hub is there's a lot of people willing to just share their knowledge for free just to get more people to know about the cool thing they're working on. So I do that a lot, but it does require time and attention. It's hard. Like now that I'm on a you know, founder, now as the company grows, I'm in the CEO role, uh, I have to spend a lot of time kind of more on the business, go to market. I find it harder to keep up with technology. Uh, and it's definitely something that everybody needs to make time for. Because one, one thing in our industry that no other industry has is how fast things change. Yes. LLMs were not a thing 18 months ago. It was just a, a blip. Like people were working on it, but nobody had a clue. And now they're like everywhere. And you go to a conference on anything tech adjacent. Like I had a friend who just went to the hotspot conference last week. And Hotspot was all about AI and LLMs. And I went to the Google Cloud Conference, which of course was all about AI and LLM, but it's just happening everywhere. And the other thing is using it. It took me a while, but now I'm using more like BART and ChatGPT and you know, using it gets you a sense of, oh, okay. I see what's possible. I see what's fluff. I see what's actually real. And that helps me a lot, but you know, you, ha you have to have, and I think it's important to keep that skill of adopting new tools as they come and kind of give you know people as we all get older or busier we all tend to think oh it doesn't work it's all been invented that's it i think being open to like understanding the new trends using the new tools adapting your workflow for the new things is very important it's a good way it's a good way to stay current because yeah. even if you're no longer directly working on, on certain tech we're influenced by it. Like our world tech is massive. Most of the biggest, you know, if you look at the NASDAQ or the SP 500, the first 10, 15 companies are all tech companies. Yep. So our life is impacted. So the, the better grasp we have of what's coming, 
the more informed we are, the better position we are to make decisions on like, hey, do I want that to exist? Do I want that to not exist? Do I want to use it? Or do I want to avoid it? They're all for mm. answers, but we have to be informed. Yeah, I love that. And I also love uh, pitting the different models against each other to try to try and angulate the answer that I was looking for. I've had a lot of success with that. All right, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin? I used to be a big believer in the early days. I, I think that we all in, in, in that world miscalculated the importance of governance and kind of having the central government. So now I'm less bullish. I think there's a space. I think the concept we find behind the whole crypto makes a lot of sense. I don't know if coins is what we want to do, but I, I do think that in the future, there will be some solutions using some of the principles we find behind um, cryptocurrencies. I think the decentralized decision making and, and removing the need for an intermediary that everybody trusts or that are forced to trust is a net gain. I just think that everybody in, in the world of Bitcoin and crypto, we didn't put enough attention on like the human dynamics and, and how people were willing to scam as quickly as possible. Mm. And that gave crypto such a bad rep. Yeah. Uh, they might not recover from that, but I, I think there's, I think the tech has legs. We just need to figure out how to use it for good. Yeah, I love that. Last question. I think I had heard you mention earlier that you've never worked on anything that wasn't computer related in your life. And I'm curious if you have any regrets that you didn't explore more, or maybe you would push back against that statement. Uh, no, I have no regrets because I've always been very lucky about really liking what I do. I mean, not every day and there are bad days, but sure. overall, I've never had a job that I'm like, oh, and I get it. Like I have friends who worked in like really hard jobs, right? In, in like physical work in factories or like in offices doing work that is not creative, that is not well paid. Like I, I have tremendous respect for all of those people because those jobs are very needed. I got lucky to find this. I like it a lot. I get a lot of pleasure. I've been doing it for what now, 20, 25 years professionally, uh, which sounds like a lot, <laughs> but I like it. And, and as I said earlier in your other question, I, I still code in my spare time. And that to me is the best thing. So no, no regrets. Ramiro, you have an amazing story. Where can people go to find out more about you, to connect or maybe to follow your work? Yeah, so if you want to connect, uh, Twitter or now x.com is the best place. It's rberiesa or octeto.com. That's our company if you want to learn more about developer productivity, developer velocity, or how to make your teams go faster, check it out. But if you want to talk about anything from tech, food, San Francisco, uh, anything else, Twitter, I'm pretty active there. All right. I'll make sure to add both in the show notes. And again, Ramiro, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing what has been a phenomenal journey so far. And I'm looking forward to seeing that continue to play out for you. So thank you for sharing. Now, thank you for the invitation, James. I really enjoyed our conversation and I hope your audience has as much fun as I had recording this. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's show, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. It's a free way you can support the show and help other people just like you find the story and others like it. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show.